0: Welcome to 1514, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. Our goal is to help Christians understand the truth of Romans 15, 14, that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm one of your hosts, Curtis Solomon.
1: And I'm Lincoln Liu, your other host. Be sure to check out other resources from the BCC at biblicalcc.org.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of 1514. We're really thankful for you and excited to have you as part of our audience. I really want you to recognize the value you have as an audience member. Uh, we appreciate those who listen. We appreciate those who send us notes, encouragement, questions. Also appreciate those who send candy to some of our guests. We've we've had that happen before in the past too. And we, encourage, we are encouraged by you. Uh, because you're the ones who get the word out most about 1514 the best way to share about a podcast and get it out there is word of mouth and that requires you as the audience members sharing that includes jumping online giving giving us a rating uh, sharing on your social media platforms but also just telling people about it so please do so we are greatly blessed when we find out about people sharing about 1514 today's interview is one that we did with Brad Hambrick and Brad's been on the podcast before his he is the pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, and he also serves as assistant professor of biblical counseling at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. He is a BCC council member, and he's an author of a a number of books. And today's episode is actually a discussion with Brad about a book that will be coming out this fall, hopefully right around the time that this podcast releases. The book is called Mobilizing Church-Based Counseling, Models for Sustainable Church-Based Care. And I was really encouraged by this book. Brad is writing to the lay person who wants to build a biblical counseling ministry within their local church. Uh, he While he's at a big church, he doesn't communicate only to big churches. This is a model of care that can be applied across any size church, in, in a, and he really describes how to do it in a sustainable way. Lakin was with me, and she hijacks the episode a little bit to, to go down a rabbit trail of something she picked up on Brad really being interested in, and I was really encouraged by the conversation with that we had because of that, so I hope you enjoy it as well. So, thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. This season of 1514 is brought to you in part by the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and Boyce College. A lifetime of faithfulness in counseling, preaching, teaching, and discipling, begins with an education that is trusted for truth. Southern Seminary and Boyce College offer undergraduate, master's level, and doctoral degrees in biblical counseling that you can trust to be scripturally grounded and life transforming. The aim of our program at Boyce College is to prepare graduates to serve in counseling ministries and to position them for graduate level training in biblical counseling. If your next step in counseling is earning a master's or doctoral degree, Southern Seminary equips our graduates fully online or on campus to counsel God's Word faithfully and skillfully in both individuals and families. To learn more about an undergraduate biblical counseling degree, go to BoyceCollege.com 1514. That's BoyceCollege.com 1514. For more information about graduate-level credentials, the web address is sbts.edu 1514. You will also find direct links to these degree programs in the show notes of today's 1514 episode. Thanks so much for listening. Well, Brad Hamburg, thanks so much for joining us again for 1514. We've had you on the program before. uh, So we will post some information to those in our show notes, but some of our audience may not have heard those and they don't know you yet. So could you introduce yourself to them? It's my pleasure to be back.
2: I appreciate the invitation. Uh, And so I currently serve uh, as the pastor of counseling uh, at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina. I also teach part-time uh, at Southeastern Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina. I've uh, been in those two roles uh, for close to 12 years now. Uh, prior to that, uh, I spent close to 10 years uh, down in Augusta, Georgia, serving in a parachurch counseling center down there. Uh, so I've done parachurch work, I've done local church work, I've done seminary training work, Uh, And so, a lot of the areas where we have our hats of biblical counseling, uh, I've worn several of them.
0: Well, uh, it definitely shows, too, in what we're going to talk about today, Um, and I appreciate the wisdom that you've collected in all of those different spheres as well. And I want to talk to you about the the book that's going to be coming out this fall, Mobilizing Church-Based Counseling, but... It's actually a lot more than just the book. You have some some cohorts. you have a lot of supplemental material that goes along with it. Um, but can you can you introduce our audience to the maybe the thesis of the book and and who is the audience that you wrote it for?
2: Um, uh, so when uh, when you read mobilizing, Uh, And it has a companion
0: uh, volume called Facilitating.
2: I'll mention that once or twice. We'll stay focused on mobilizing. Uh, But in some ways, mobilizing, uh, if you will, is about building the counseling airport uh, at your church. Uh, Facilitating is about training pilots to take passengers somewhere. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, mobilizing is for that pastor or that catalytic lay leader who says, I want us to have a ministry. Uh, that is more than friendship, less than a vocational counselor. Uh, so not just people who are doing life together in small group. That's actually absolutely wonderful. When I say more than that, I am not implying anything um, bad about friendships. Uh, they are awesome. Um, but less than a vocational counselor. Uh, because there's plenty of lay people that if you say, hey, you want to make me a vocational, like I, you want me to use intake forms and take case notes and create a treatment plan to meet with a stranger about whatever it is that they bring through that door. As church leadership, we may say, oh, this person's awesome. They could totally be helpful. But that spooks them out of being willing to step into that kind of role. Uh, and so mobilizing looks at. Two models of care um, that I may overstate it here a little bit, but I just think are radically underdeveloped in the life of the church. One of those is group-based counseling, uh, and the other is mentoring. There is so much good that can be done through those modes of care that don't require intake forms and case notes and all the rest that's kind of professional-esque. And people are a lot less intimidated to use. Uh, and so, people who hear that and go, Yes, I get excited about how much could be done through those moderately formal modes of ministry. That's who mobilizing was written for.
0: No, I appreciate that. And then, being an Air Force guy, I also appreciate the airport analogy. So, thank, <laughs> thanks for that.
1: All righty. Could you define for us? Um, defi- oh, gosh, I thought you're going to have to cut that out. <laughs> Could you um, define for our audience G4 and GCM, please?
2: Yes, I use those acronyms. Uh, And so those are a couple of ministry models that we have developed where I serve here at the Summit Church. Uh, We have test piloted those. There you go, Curtis, another aviation reference for you. (laughs) Uh, My son's going to be a pilot, so my aviation metaphors are really starting to sharpen. Um, But we have test piloted those for... Um, about 10 years here at Summit, each of those ministries. Uh, G4 is our group based counseling ministry. Uh, and then GCM stands for Gospel Center Marriage. Uh, that is our premarital mentoring ministry. Uh, we also use that for a marriage enrichment curriculum that gets, uh, that just feeds into our normal discipleship ministries of small groups here at Summit. Uh, but as counseling ministries, G4 is groups and GCM is premarital mentoring.
0: No, I appreciate the the names too, and I, I also like in the book that you are very direct about why you choose certain why you choose the titles, and I, you already mentioned your desire to remove barriers in people's minds to establishing these kind of ministries and stuff. And actually, one of those things that you did is to is pick these names uh, because sometimes there's stigma or maybe barriers that come up in people's na- minds when they hear of counseling or like a support group or something like that. Can you express your rationale behind that and discuss that a little bit for us? Yeah,
2: and I think that comes out most in G4, uh, where it was a little bit of stigma, and it was also another part of not wanting to limit the scope of how people perceive the ministry. Uh, And so, when you think groups, um, probably the most uh, dominant model for groups in the church is Celebrate Recovery. Mm-hmm. You hear that word recovery, and it automatically pigeonholes holes to addiction. Well, we wanted a group based ministry that had the perception uh, of being broader than just addiction. Mm. We wanted to care for a variety of subjects. So that led us to ask, like, well, what other kind of groups are there? And what are we wanting to do this beyond recovery groups? Uh, well, there's uh, support groups, uh, process groups. Uh, there's groups that are more educational on uh, counseling-related struggles, uh, and we kept looking for one word mm. uh, that would that could house <laughs> all of those things, and we couldn't find a word. Mm. Uh, so, like, we got four kinds of groups. We'd love to be housed in this ministry. We want it to be gospel-centered, so we're going to call it G four. Um, and you know, from that standpoint, if somebody can get, you know, say to a friend, "Yeah, I, I can't do that. I've got a G four meeting tonight." Uh, they haven't disclosed more than they meant to disclose. If they want to share more, they can. Uh, If that's still more of a casual relationship where that feels more than they're comfortable, they can leave it at, "Ah, I can't do that. I've got a G4 meeting tonight. So it's easier to talk about and even easier to talk about from the pulpit. I mean, one of the things that at our church I've loved about these ministries is, uh, let's say Pastor JD is... Um, preaching a sermon and the theme of anxiety comes up. Well, the ability to have an application step and awareness for this ministry is as simple as him saying, hey, if we talk about anxiety, this is one of the reasons I'm really glad we've got a ministry like G4, uh, that one of the groups that they have is on anxiety. Um, Give the website where that should be checked out. Um, You know, for many of us, our first step is going to be connecting with a group like that. And then he moves on. He mentioned that there's other groups, and it's um, you created awareness for the ministry as a whole, while giving a clear next step for people whose lives feel dominated by that struggle. Mm.
0: No, I pre- I really appreciate that, and and just so people know too, I I was actually a little skeptical when I when I got the book because I'm like, man, Brad's at such a big church, and they've got tons of resources. And is this book gonna just speak to to big churches? And it's absolutely not. Like it's at you, like like we said at the beginning, you bring your your wisdom from small church pastoring, big church pastoring, <laughs> seminary, all that stuff, and it is very deliverable to the the solo pastor or the person who's helping the solo pastor at small church in small town, um, wherever. So thank thank you for doing that. It's it's just such a great resource. Um, and, and you know, on that, I grew up in a
2: town that was 30 minutes from the nearest McDonald's. We had <laughs> one stop. We had one stoplight, and it was at the wrong corner. Uh, and sometimes people say that we're making it up, but I'm serious. Oh no, um, yep. the Biggest industry in our town is the gas station. Yep. Uh, and I, if only big churches can have counseling ministries, that's a problem. Yep. Now. You know, to have a dedicated staff position, uh, that's usually going to be your larger churches. But if as a movement we want to see churches of all size develop more and more excellent models of care, then I think it's incumbent upon people who have really the privilege of being in a position where I get to devote my time to developing counseling ministries for a church. they It would be poor stewardship not to think through, how can we make things that are replicable? Yeah. And so, just this week, we had our first series of cohorts where we're uh, helping churches that want to launch this kind of ministry. We had 12 churches that were there, a part of it, uh, and we had some large churches there that if I said the name of the church or the pastor, you would probably know it. And we had some churches that were very median size, um, two staff position churches. And the thing that was most encouraging to me about that opening cohort experience is they all left optimistic that yeah, this is something we could mm-hmm. do. Yep. They went to and we had them do a site visit at G4. And when they get to know our leaders, they're like, we absolutely have people like this. And we love the way that they view their their subject matter as a people group that they want to reach in this community. And the missionalness of that for a people group with a particular struggle, it it was beautiful to see churches of all
0: sizes get excited and say we could do that yeah mm-hmm. and and you do like it, it's such a great resource because it is it has a broad enough reach that that all those sizes and I, I really appreciated that one of the things that I liked is you address a lot of the questions that either people have going into it, especially maybe things that they're afraid of, or that might keep them from it, and some questions that they don't know they should be asking, but they, they need to be asking. But one of those things that you you tackled was the fear of liability. Um, I've heard, I've been at institutions and, and heard a lot of churches talk about that, like, I just don't know if we want to take on the liability associated with having a counseling ministry. Can you flesh that out a little bit to, to kind of give people a taste of the wisdom you offer there? It's a very frequent question. It's a very legitimate question.
2: I wish it wasn't always our first question.
0: (laughs) Yes. Um,
2: And even the way that we frame the question sometimes frustrates me a little bit. Because the question becomes, how are we not going to get sued? Mm -hmm. Which begins to view hurting people as a liability. Uh, As opposed to, how do we care for people in complicated situations where they're entrusting us with precious and private information in a way that both helps them and honor them. And so much of that comes into informed consent up front. Do they know what they're getting? Uh, and then uh, operating uh, a ministry as it's designed. So, you know, as we think about it, and, you know, there's lots of conversations about lawsuits of different organizations that are going on and the Boy Scouts and everybody else, they're getting sued. You know one group that nobody ever talks about getting sued? AA. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is a group that has been helping people in crisis for decades. Lots of messes, lots of private information. And... It is clear enough what it is and what they do uh, that nobody feels the need to sue them. Mm. I may have just said that on this podcast, and I gave people ideas, and I, I messed it up. But you know, so much of when we say counseling ministry, we our eyes immediately see something that is pseudo professional. We see a helper. We see a helpie, they didn't know each other before a problem arose, and the helpie reached out, and the helper has intake forms and keeps case notes, and they live in a file. And that, I would just ask as biblical counselors, where we're like, oh, why is that the assumed model of care? That when you have groups, like when you have a group on addiction or a group on trauma or a group on depression, you are providing a wonderful constriction of expectation for that lay leader. That when people come to a depression group, uh, they're not asking for marriage advice. Like that leader just needs to be good about one thing. You know, another aspect under liability is counseling comes with confidentiality. That's a reasonable expectation of counseling. And that can hamstring us. If people don't like the care that they receive, the advice that they get from a church, you know, they can start talking in the community. Can you believe what that church said to me? And if we honor confidentiality, they can talk all they want to, and we can't. But if you have groups that are established on a curriculum, you can be transparent about the curriculum. Hey, we do have groups that meet on uh, a subject that's on just, you can absolutely look at the curriculum. You can see what's here. This is, this is the kind of advice and care. This is the process that we advise people to go through. And if we begin to think through that kind of lens of moderately formal things like groups and mentoring that's moderated by a curriculum, a lot of those barriers of liability, even when a church calls its insurance company, says, hey, we're starting to th- talk about a ministry like this. Um, it's it's basically a very faithful word, gospel-centered version of AA. Uh, that's what the leaders are. They're facilitators of groups. Your insurance company immediately has a category for what you're talking about. It um, A lot of the things in this sphere that it does feel spooky. doesn't have to be, and I, I talk folksy because I'm from Kentucky, but it doesn't have to be. <laughs> As spooky as we fear that it is.
0: Well, and in the, in the reality too, I even talk to people who have their own private counseling ministries. And um, when you look at the cost of liability insurance for that, it is very low. And anytime I see low insurance, I think it's not an overly litigious thing. Because if it was, the insurance companies would be charging you tons and tons of money. And I, I, I do think the the wild, crazy, big stories get our attention mm-hmm. and they suck everybody's attention and fear in that direction. And um, so, yeah, thank you for sharing that. And, and readers, be sure to get the book and read that section because it just, yeah, you alleviate a lot of fear and concern there.
1: Yeah. So, we kind of been talking about Um, the group, what it looks like, and the model of it. Can we now switch over to talking about um, where the pastor fits into the framework as well and just share some thoughts on that concept?
2: Yeah, Uh, and that is uh, when you have something that is its own tab on your church's website. Um, You know, because at one level, we can say every church already has a counseling ministry. Uh, That's where we get the, the... 1514 for this podcast is uh, that in the care that we provide to one another, um, that care and counsel is already being given. But when you're going to put a counseling tab on your website, you're saying something is different about this ministry from all the other helpful relationships Mm -hmm. that exist uh, in the life of your church. And so uh, the passage that I pull from, and I'm using it, I'm not using it ex- exegetically in its purest sense, I'm using it as a, as a parallel, is ministries like G4 and GCM are deacon-esque style ministries. Uh, they're Acts 6 style ministries. In Acts 6, the pastor elders, they were overwhelmed by an acute need in their community. That need happened to be widows. Uh, they, they couldn't do everything that needed to be done for the widows. And so God kind of, through prayer, said, hey, we need an office called Deacon that leads in the care ministries. And at that point, uh, the pastors didn't stop shepherding the widows. The pastors still pastored widows. but mm-hmm. deacons ran point on the acute care. Uh, the deacons had the list. They knew who needed which groceries and who had what allergies and what day of the week it was going to be delivered by who. Uh, and it allowed the pastors to continue to pastor broadly and somebody else handled the acute need. G4 and GCM take some acute needs and say, hey, we we can raise up some lay people that serve uh, that kind of deacon-esque function. Now, one of the things that gets it gets a little skittish for folks here is when people are disclosing more in counseling, what do we do with that information? And here uh, a metaphor that that I use in the book that that I think is fairly intuitive once you hear it is there's things that we already do with the financial contributions that people give to a church that we're just saying we need good parallels for that with the private information that people share. So when people give general tithes and offerings to the church, we give them a statement of giving because they'll get a tax benefit from that. Um, But if somebody designates a gift to the building fund, we know there's some restriction on that. We can only use that for the building unless they later give us permission otherwise. And if we're really dotting our I's and crossing our T's, if somebody buys a $50 paid of barbecue to send the kids to student camp, um, There, because they're receiving something of value, uh, that's, that's not a tithe and offering. Well, what we're saying is that people can share the same story with multiple people in our church. They can cry the same kind of tears as they talk about the same hardship. But the context in which that information is disclosed, uh, and the understanding of what that relationship is, which is informed consent, uh, is what tells us how to handle that information. And so when something gets shared inside of G4 or GCM, if uh, if for some reason the pastor needs to be a part of that, uh, then the leader in that ministry um, would simply say, hey, I, pastor, I'd be happy to talk with you about that. You just need to ask this person to send me an email uh, that says, like they know and it's okay. Um, and because this is moderate formality, you don't need a release of information or that kind of thing. But we do want to honor the context in which that is shared. Uh, and so once you call something counseling and you make it its own tab, uh, then those types of considerations do need to be honored in the way that the ministry is um, is led and um, administrated.
1: No, that's great. Discerning which ladder. Um, the situation, if it needs to stay down here or if it needs to be brought up. And so just a great format for you guys to keep it where it needs to be or if need be, can go above.
0: One of, one of the things that I've appreciated, Brad, too, just in our conversations and reading some of your other material and stuff is you're, you're, you're very analytical in thinking about and good at thinking about, like you said, the context of the relationship the expectations of the relationship, the level of, in a sense, professionalism uh, of the type of care relationship that's being given, um, and you you talk about in the book some spectrums of counseling ethics in three main areas. And I, I when I first saw that, I was like, "Wow, that's that's a that might blow some lay minds away." But we'll see. <laughs> but it actually it was very very helpful to get into some of the nuances of those things, can you maybe share just one of those spectrums that you put in the book and then discuss, actually discuss the spectrum then?
2: Yeah. And, you know, this is one of those things that goes back to the liability concern. When we start a counseling ministry, we often feel like there's lines on the field and we're going to get in trouble if we cross them, but nobody tells us where the lines are. Hmm. Um, And so the three spectrum uh, are formality, expertise, and jurisdiction. Uh, And if you think about those as a spectrum, there's different marks on the spectrum. Uh, And whenever you cross one of those marks on the spectrum, uh, it's not bad. It's just what good looks like changes on one side of the marker as opposed to the other. Uh, So you have to illustrate that with one, uh, with formality. Uh, Well, You know, on the far friendship side uh, of formality, um, it's just peers. Um, There's, um, you hit that first marker, which is role definition. There's helper and helpy. Like in this relationship, uh, it's not that one person is better than the other, but we have defined roles based on what brings us together. Uh, That is, That's one step in the direction of formality. Uh, Now, we talked about the two ministries here. GCM lives on uh, the slightly more formal side of role definition. When you have mentor and mentee who are coming together to navigate uh, that season of premarital and early marriage, like you have role definition. Uh, Then you go another marker. uh, You have meeting by appointment. uh, That Uh, This isn't just casual hangout, whenever, wherever time. We needed a set time and a set place. Uh, Well, G4 lives on the other side of that marker. Uh, Because if you're going to have a group, you got to have everybody at the same place at the same time with shared expectation. And you also have role definition. So you're on that side of both markers. Now, the next marker of formality uh, and neither G4 nor GCM um, cross this marker, it's not that the marker's bad, it's just we're trying to keep it in that moderate formality area, is case notes. When you have the fine china of somebody's life, living on pieces of paper that live in a file folder, that live uh, in a uh, drawer in the church, and you're trying to figure out who has access to that, When, why, under what circumstances, with what permission. Uh, When people start putting their life histories on paper for you to store, that's another level of formal. Then you hit another level of formality, which is the exchange of finances. Uh, This is when Uncle Sam cares. Uh, Uncle Sam cares when there's receipts. Um, And so this is one where... The reason I create the spectrum for formality, expertise, and jurisdiction is I want a church to be able to look at it and go, where are we comfortable now? Mm -hmm. What are the advantages and disadvantages if we choose to go another step of formality? And what would we need to understand to take that next step well? I don't think there's a sweet spot on one of these spectrums where it's like, this is how Jesus did Mm -hmm. ministry or this is how Paul set it up in Ephesus. It's we need to make informed decisions where we understand the implications of where we're uh, moving those uh, beads on the spectrum.
1: It's so practical and ready for any church um, to use and to apply whenever, um, right at that moment, and then to keep growing Um, There's also another um, topic that I would love to talk about in the book. And um, you discussed one reason the church has historically been better at dealing with sin-based struggles and not suffering-based struggles. Can you share the reason you gave there and expound on it some?
2: Yeah. Uh, So that comes out of a G4 plumb line. Uh, Plumb lines are short, pithy statements that capture core values of the ministry. So at G4, one of the things we say all the time is the gospel speaks to both sin and suffering, but it speaks to them differently. Uh, The gospel offers forgiveness and freedom for sin, uh, and it offers comfort and meaning amid suffering. Um, And historically, uh, I think as churches, just some at church, but I would say us too, uh, we've been better at applying the gospel uh, to the things that are sin-based, that are in our sphere of responsibility, uh, then we have suffering. Uh, part of that is simply because it's clearer Jesus saves us from our sin. Uh, that that is the message of salvation. Um, you know, in terms of saving us from suffering, well, that would be heaven when He wipes away every tear. Uh, but in the in the interim, uh, before suffering is ultimately eradicated, uh, there is lots of Places in Scripture where it speaks to comfort and finding meaning and hope amid suffering. And that recognizing that we we live in a world that was created to be good. And our expectation uh, that this world be a good, safe place isn't because we're princesses and snowflakes. Um, it's because that was God's original design. Uh, we are agreeing with his creation goodness when we long for that. But we live in a world that was broken. And it's only in process being made right now. Like that ability to find meaning amid hardship. Um, It's not that Viktor Frankl had all the right answers on it, but he could be in a place like Auschwitz. And he could go, those people that find meaning and have hope even in the worst of suffering their resiliency is so much better than those who get fatalistic and think there's no way to make sense of this whatsoever. And so, again, this is one where I think in the biblical counseling movement, we've been a little more prone to emphasize sin. I don't think because it's it's because we're cranky and judgmental. I think there's a very good counseling reason we did that. Because that sphere of personal responsibility, uh, the popular term for that these days is personal agency. These are the things we have control over. And we looked at a lot of the counseling world and we said, it's it's too excuse-laden. They make an excuse for everything. We're going to call people to control the things that they can control and change the things that they control. And the doctrine of sin was legitimately great for that. But inadvertently, I'm afraid we got too close to saying if we declare some things suffering, then we're just giving people a victim pass. And that's not true. We need ways to redemptively engage with suffering that don't call people to bear responsibility for things that's not theirs. And that balance through that plumb line of the gospel speaks about sin and suffering. It just speaks to them differently. That is very much at the heart of a ministry like G4.
0: Well, Brad, we're almost out of time, Uh, but one thing I wanted to highlight for people too, when you get the book, when you read it, you will find that Brad and the Summit Church have been very generous with his time and the resources they have to put together all kinds of supplemental uh, content that goes along with the book, and I think even you have lessons that people can walk through over six weeks that are available on podcast or video or written so that... However, people digest content; <laughs> they can get it. Um, so, thank one. Thank you for doing that. And then, two: mm-hmm. if people are looking for uh, that supplemental material, but also there's just a ton of other. You put out a ton of other stuff too. Where can people find that? Um, tell, point them point them in the right direction. Yes. Uh, so I I house that at my personal website, uh, bradhambrick.com.
2: So B R A D. Hambrick, um, <laughs> uh, bradhambrick.com uh, and what we do there is uh, we do video recordings for teaching through the g4 and gcm curriculum uh, those are uh, and it's my intention that they forever will be free uh, and so if somebody's just like to walk me through this material uh, that's things that we want uh, to be available there Historically, we've made the PDFs of the workbook that go along with it free. Um, But because my middle name is Thorough, uh, not really, but that's the reputation that I have, we kept burning up people's copying machines and their Xerox machines uh, printing those notebooks. Uh, and so in the subsequent years after mobilizing comes out, New Growth is also going to be publishing those manuals uh, so that there's a printed version of these resources uh, that you can go through like you would any other. And so, again, I think those will be uh, very fairly and reasonably uh, priced there. Uh, but the video based teaching of just hearing it and having somebody walk you through it uh, verbally, uh, that
0: part, uh, our intentions that it would always be on my site for free. Mm. No, we appreciate that. And we're going to link to a, a short video clip that you guys have made, and then you are also going to make it adaptable and customizable to any church that implements G4. Uh, It's a real great short video that helps introduce people to the concept of that. And so, be looking for that in the show notes too. And if you're interested in having uh, G4 and GCM kind of ministries in your church, be sure to get this resource, check out the website, use that commercial to promote it in your church, help people understand what's going on. So, Brad, it's always a delight. Thanks so much for being with us on 1514 today. Uh, It was my pleasure. I always appreciate the invitation.
1: Thanks for listening. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.
0: And special thanks to our team who helped make this podcast possible. My assistant, Rebecca Mullins, helps coordinate these interviews. And our podcast engineer, Caleb Lau, does a great job editing and putting everything together. We look forward to you joining us next time.